Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to a, another episode of the Chase Thomas podcast, where I am still the aforementioned Chase Thomas, coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee. Joining me at this time, as he does every week on a Wednesday evening, it's my good friend, fellow University of North Georgia alumni. Matt Green down there in Decula, Georgia. Matt, good evening, sir. How are you? Good evening, sir. It is. Uh, it's good to be back. It's finally finally feels like fall outside. I'm uh, I'm digging it. It does feel like fall outside. Um, it's pretty nice. It's pretty nice. But we're at that point, and this is uh, old man on his corner type deal here. It's hard to know how to uh, heat or cool off the house. Like this is. This is tough because when you're in the summer and you're in the winter, it's pretty clear. It's pretty easy. You know how to keep uh, your thermostat in the right spot, what you need to do. Mm. Every day it's a it's a it's a battle. You got to figure out what to put it on, what to what to do. Like some days you got to just leave it off the whole day. <laughs> like it's a it's a battle right now for uh for the household and figuring out what to do on the daily. Hey, these are the struggles, you know. First world problems. What are you doing? Are you on air? Are you on AC? Are you on heat yet? What are you doing? Ours is actually weird. It's like we, uh, it'll be on AC, and you'll, we've set at like seventy six or something, and then you wake up middle of the night, it's like sixty six, and you're like, this is mm. awful. And then you put it on like seventy six to heat it back up, just click it over to heat, and then all of a sudden it gets all the way up to like eighty two. You're like, what is this garbage? Just just keep it at like seventy six, and it'll be fine. But um. Yeah, it's uh, so I got, I got I'm I'm flipping back and forth. I haven't I I haven't like settled on one. I'm a guy I like to keep it cool though. Also, <laughs> I, I I that's just that's just my, me personally. Same here. I'm also a guy that loves to keep it cool. You know, I'm a cool <laughs> guy. Like I love to keep it cool. Exactly. Uh, Matt Green, don't forget, folks, that uh, if they want to check out this program, they can do so on YouTube.com. You can watch this right now. If you're watching this right now on YouTube, we appreciate it. Go ahead and hit that like button below this video, all that good stuff. Share it out. Subscribe if you have not already done so as we continue growing out the YouTube page here on the Chase Thomas Podcast on the Blue Wire Pod Network. Um, so you can find us YouTube.com slash Chase Thomas Podcast. You can also listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts each and every day, new episodes uh, covering everything. But, you know, today it's college football. So uh, lock in there. Make sure you're subscribed on your preferred podcast player. And if you are already a returning listener each and every day and you haven't already done so, hit that pause button right now and leave us a five-star review, uh, five-star rating and a review. Helps other people find the show, and it helps this very show continue to grow. Uh, Matt Green. We don't have any news. We were talking about before we got started here. There was just not how we were coming through. And it, it's just so weird because I think we have become conditioned to just another just groundbreaking thing to happen week over week in college football. It seems like the sport is just always having things happen, whether it's coach firings, coach hirings, uh, player movement, uh, conference realignment, games being like this just up and down the list there's just all kinds of stuff that usually uh, nigel nigel the nighthawk uh has been overwhelmed uh, over the last year keeping order of all the different <laughs> news items that he's had to keep up with for this very program uh, but we're giving him the week off because 
there's just not not a lot of college football news outside of the actual games happening this weekend. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's it's just the it's the calm before the storm. Then you know, there's something there's something big is gonna happen uh, probably tomorrow after we uh, after we air this. But well, let's um, hope not. But uh, yeah, we've already touched on what how many coaches got fired this week. So yeah, it's uh, we're just talking ball now, and that's that's the way we like it anyway. Absolutely. Um, well, we are going to talk ball as we do at this time every week. But Matt Green, uh, refresh the good listeners about where we're at uh, heading into week six of our college football picks. Oh, man, I didn't even have it pulled up. This is amateur hour right here. It's okay. Um, we know that you are in the lead, so you mm. have a seven-game lead overall. You're 41 and 17 on the season. I am 34 and 24 mm. against the spread. Uh, you're 28, 28 and two, right at 500, and I'm uh, I'm trailing you by three games, 25, 31 and two. Mm. And then Zeus, with his home dog of the week, is uh, two and three on the season. So we'll see if we'll see if Zeus can. Uh, can get another one in the win column, get up to 500. Well, it's a big week. I'm curious to see who is home dog of the week here because there are a lot of choices in this one, and he better not do what I think he might do uh, on this pick But we'll see. We'll see what Zeus is up to uh, here. <laughs> uh, Matt Green, where are we going first? I think we got to start it off with the uh, college game day, game of the week, going to Lawrence, Kansas. Rock Chalk Jayhawk. Um, Kansas is a six-point home dog to the TCU Horned Frogs. Uh, every fun fact for you: um, every game in the Big Twelve has a ranked team this week involved in it, other than Oklahoma, Texas, which is uh, kind of wild to think of. But uh, yeah, so I I think. Personally, for me in this game, Kansas is a great story and everything, um, but it feels like they're not actually legit. Like Iowa State is—they have a good defense and everything. What was that game? Fourteen to eleven. Like, I just TCU's actually look like a good team. Like this is the—they're I think they're third in the country in points per game right now, averaging I think forty-eight points a game. Max Duggan has yet to throw an interception this season. I just think this TCU offense is just gonna has way too much firepower uh, for Kansas to to keep up with. It's, it's a nice story to see the Jayhawks in the top twenty five, but uh, I think I think TCU is gonna bring them back down a peg. So give me the Horn Frogs to go on the road and win by uh, at least a touchdown. So you have them covering too? Uh, yes, I do. Okay, it'll be an electric atmosphere. All all like thirty thousand that Kansas holds or so. It's probably about the same that uh, the Fog Island Fieldhouse holds it, I would bet. But um, but yeah, I'm got to got to take TCU. Um, interesting. So I've been going back and forth on this, Matt Green, and Kansas has actually beaten TCU just once since joining the Big Twelve in 2018. But I was going through because you were thinking about both teams and. The offenses have been electric, Jalen Daniels, Max Duggan, for very different reasons, and it's been a good story. But TCU, number two in the country in points per game uh, to this point, which is pretty preposterous. I think, like, we, Sonny Dykes, he knows offense, doesn't matter where he goes, Cal, SMU, Texas Tech, it doesn't matter. Like, he's going to he's gonna coach up 
uh, the offense, and they're going to be all right on that front. But TCU is also 46 in defense nationally, scoring defense. Kansas is 62nd. Kansas is number 12 in scoring. So they are close, and the this game can go either way. And when I come back down to it, it's like, how much is the home atmosphere? But you mentioned the 30,000 and the atmosphere here. I don't think Kansas is going to be able to slow down this TCU team enough. And that's where I'm at. It this I mean, 6-0 and Kansas would be pretty wild, but I'm not there. I'm going to go uh, TCU to also win, but I think Kansas covers. I could see this being uh, a nail-biter at the very end and TCU winning on a last-second field goal or something. So give me TCU to win, but give me Kansas to cover. I think this will be super close. Oh, okay. You're going to take Kansas to uh... – to keep it close. Um, and all, with all due respect to Memorial Stadium uh, mm. in, there in Lawrence, Kansas, they hold 50,000. Uh, Fog Allen Fieldhouse only holds uh, a little over 16,000. So um, we'll put that one on the board, lock it in. Uh, our next game, going down to Baton Rouge, mm. Tennessee. Last first uh, visit to Death Valley since, I believe, 2010. If I am, uh, if I'm correct on that, which is just an absolute travesty in my book. This is why this SEC schedule we got to fix it because there's no way that University of Tennessee should be going to Baton Rouge once every 13 years, uh, 12, 13 years. Um, it just, it just isn't right. We got, we got to fix this. So Tennessee going to LSU. LSU is a two-point home dog in this one, sir. And uh, give me your thoughts on this game. I know you have a lot of them. The debut of D. Williams, which I'm sure everyone nationally is waiting for. They've all been waiting for the, the season debut for the uh, the cornerback uh, to make his debut. Uh, as the Probably the nickel corner because Warren Burrell, it was announced this week. I don't know if you saw the three-year starter at corner for Tennessee is out for the year uh, while undergoing surgery. So an already thin wide receiver group or what cornerback group and secondary in general uh, got a little bit more thin this week. That will probably be more of a problem uh, later on this season, not against Keishon Boutte, who, if you look at his season stats, just not a lot there. Like he's going to be fine come NFL stuff and everything like that, but uh, has not produced to that level. That's not how LSU's winning football games right now. They're running the ball really well. Jane Daniels is doing it in other ways. <sighs> This is tough because LSU um, is, uh, or UT rather, is 20, 10, and 1 all time, which kind of surprised me. Um, but the thing about this is Tennessee is now the number one passing offense in the country. LSU is 68th. Something that I think a lot of folks have to, and look, there's a reason that Tennessee now has the third highest SEC title odds of anyone in the conference right now. There's a reason that their CFP playoff odds, I think, are what, sixth? Uh, nationally right now to win the whole dang thing I don't think that's happening obviously but people have to adjust at some point it takes some time I think uh, throughout the course of a season for people to be like oh this is just a different type of deal like people kept waiting for like Kyle Trask not to, to like kind of turn back into what people thought Kyle Trask was you know because it's like oh the walk-on type dude from um, who was backing up Felipe Franks like Felipe Franks was the name he was the five-star he was the uh, he was supposed to be a superstar 
at uh, Florida. Did not work out, obviously. But people were waiting to write Kyle Trask off. And then Florida just kept winning. Then they beat Georgia. And that group just excelled uh, throughout the course of the year. And, I mean, they were just extremely close uh, to making uh, the college ball playoff that year. And I think there are some similarities between what Dan Mullen did with those guys and the way that offense just hummed for the course of a season. And I was thinking about it a little bit with Hendon Hooker, who is the best quarterback in the SEC this year. And you look at the quarterback rating, you look up top to bottom, he has been the best quarterback in the conference to this point. All that being said, that's a good place to be in. Like, if you have the best quarterback this year, this year, based on what we've seen, you're going to win a majority of your college football games. Like, you're going to win a lot. When you're the number one passing offense in a sport that is so heavily involved, there's a reason that TCU is number two in scoring offense. There's a reason the majority of these scoring offenses that are in the top 10 are pass heavy. This is just where the sport is now. And I think it's really, really hard to beat Tennessee playing any way where you're not going to score 40. If LSU cannot score 40, they're not going to beat Tennessee. So, with that being said, and it, we'll see if Tillman plays, I'm curious to see if Jaden Daniels can throw because Tennessee's run defense isn't bad. That's like the dirty little secret. It's like there are some issues. Tennessee's been good against the run um, this year, and they get pressure. Joshua Josephs, I expect to play a little bit more. Uh, four-star freshman, uh, Terry West, they're rotating a bunch. Uh, Rodney Gardner has been great at rotating the defensive line. They have a pass rush, like Tyler Barron, Byron Young. Like this is This group gets up to the quarterback. I don't see the points, and I just think that that's ultimately where, at the beginning of the week, I was like, oh, at Death Valley. You know what also helps? Playing this game at noon, 11 a.m. Louisiana time is nice. Not going there at night is a huge win, I think, for the Vols. Avoiding um, just what that atmosphere is like at night versus during the day, or even at 3.30, the CBS game. They lucked out in a major way getting this game at 11 a.m., um, How dare you, sir? You think those folks in Baton Rouge are not going to be ready by the time kickoff comes? It's not the same. It's not the same at 11 a.m. You know it's that, not the same. That place is going to be electric still. It's 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 LSU. It's Death Valley. It's it's still going to be a loud stadium. It'll be loud. I just don't think it's going to be as intimidating as it would be at night. I, I just think that Death Valley at night is a totally different deal. Um, but look, LSU, Brian Kelly has figured some stuff out. He deserves credit. Um, the defense is solid. I just don't think they're going to be able to score enough. But it will come down to, does Tennessee, have they cleaned up what plagued them in these games last year? Emory Jones, uh, Matt Corral, the third and longs, where they just could not get off the field. And the defense would do their job just enough, and then they couldn't stop on third and 12 when, every, when they were playing soft zone coverage because they're dropping eight and sending three a lot last year. And this year they're not doing that nearly as much. But I think if they're doing that, in this one and they're scared of Jalen Dan uh Jaden Daniels getting uh just kind of breaking stuff off and improvising on his own Tennessee will have some problems and kind of uh just see what that those same kind of things from last year I just don't think they're going to do that I think this Tennessee team's different I think people are starting to realize it's different they're one of the six seven best teams in college football and they should win this game I don't think this is where Tennessee goes down I, I think they win and cover i would not be surprised if they went by double digits in this one so that's where i've landed they just are going to score too much hidden hooker is just too good so give me the balls to win and cover i'm feeling like 42 24 something like that 42 24 okay 
Um, he said a lot there. I want to start by saying, as, as good as Hendon Hooker has been, I'm not going to say he's the best quarterback in the SEC. I mean, after he's played one conference game, like against Florida at home, like Pitt counts. Pitt Pitt's a, a tough opponent, but that's I think the Pitt the Pitt game is is one of the data points out there. So mm-hmm. that's the only uh, road game Tennessee's played so far. They just, they went to overtime with Pitt. Pitt just lost to Georgia Tech, who just fired their head coach. Like I don't, do we know that Pitt is a good team? I, uh, it, it's it's hard to say at this point. So, my biggest thing is I think Jaden Daniels is a better quarterback than Anthony Richardson. I think this LSU offense has been better than Florida's offense. I think Tennessee is a better team than LSU. But just the more and more I think about going into Death Valley, like. I, I can't get the images of Anthony Richardson throwing for over 400 yards out of my head. Like, mm. I think on the road, I just think this, I don't think it takes 40 points to, to win at home. Like, I think when you have that, the, the atmosphere, the, the crowd on your side, I think they're going to, it's probably going to take 30, but I mean, what Pitt was 27, 27 going into overtime. I just I think going into Death Valley, as good as I think this Tennessee team is, I think this is by far their biggest their biggest uh, challenge so far of the season. I, I, I kind of was wanting them, as good as the Florida win was, I kind of wanted them to like assert their dominance over Florida. You know, it, it felt like they just kind of hung on and if this is the year for Tennessee and Florida is as bad as they are right now, like I wanted a more emphatic win over Florida in in uh in Neyland Stadium. So while I think Tennessee's the better team, and I really, I really truly want this third Saturday in October, this college game day undefeated showdown to be a thing with Alabama and Tennessee next week. I just don't see Tennessee going into Death Valley and, and getting the win. So give me LSU to uh to pull the upset at, at home and they'll be the home dog of the week. Wow. Is this Zeus's home dog of the week? Yeah, we're putting it in, putting it on the board. I I feel like I just I still wonder about Tennessee. Like they're the with how, Wait, what how is the wonder? I feel like they're very straightforward. I feel like Tennessee might be one of the most straightforward the, teams right now. But the pass defense, they just got torched defensively mm-hmm. uh, against Florida, and that was at home. That's that's my biggest thing. Is going on the road is it's not necessarily going to be easier. And LSU has a nice stable of backs. As good as Tennessee's run defense has been this year, like they just have a lot of different guys to get it to. Like you said, Butte's been pretty underwhelming so far, but. Tennessee's averaging 2.96 yards per carry, 21st in the country. Like, their run defense is good. Allow, yeah, that's what I'm saying. As good as Tennessee's run defense has been, I still LSU's got a lot of good backs, and Jaden Daniels is also part of that rushing attack. And he's just he's been a really dynamic player, and I think he's better than Anthony Richardson personally. And I think Richardson gave uh, uh, Tennessee's defense a, a really hard time. So, yeah, I think the home crowd is is obviously the kind of the biggest thing that's swaying this. I could see Tennessee winning this by two touchdowns at home, but there's something about going into Death Valley. I feel like it it accounts for for a few points in a, in a game. So yeah, give me give me the Tigers to to hold serve at home. Smoky Grays will be out for this one, so that's gonna be good. How do you Oof, feel about the Smoky Grays? I, I do like the Smoky Grays. I'm glad to see Hype will bring the fun back that uh, that Jeremy Pruitt sucked out of the program. 
Um, that's fair. I just, I'm, I'm not seeing it. I, I don't think this LSU defense is where they were. I mean, losing a lot of talent. I mean, they lost that uh, five-star kid on the defensive line in the opener to Florida State. Um, I don't know. I just don't. I don't trust this LSU. I mean, they're 14th in the scoring defense, averaging 14 points a game, given up. But and they I did just, not look good uh, in the first half versus Auburn at all. Yeah. But going on the road, playing at home, it's it's a different beast. I mean, when you look, yeah, at home they're giving up 11 points per game on the road, 20 and a half. Um, so that comes out to the average 4.5. Um, they haven't given up uh, any scores to a non-power five, which is interesting. Um, I don't know. I, I think we'll we'll see ultimately how this all unfolds for them. And the, but it's and not the, Auburn. Seventeen points to Auburn's thing, one thing. But the the other thing is to Mississippi State, a very dynamic offense, went into Death Valley and I think they they won that game pretty easily, like pulling away. So. You know, I don't know. They they really shut down Will Rogers in that passing attack. So like, if they can if they can limit Tennessee's big plays through the air, I think that that's a that's a game changer for sure. Well, Cedric Tillman's apparently getting on the plane on Friday, and uh, Heupel said tonight that he is in a quote position to where he's starting to move around. So I think that will be a big part of it too, is what Cedric Tillman's able to do um in this one because uh, it's one thing to get away with it on at home against florida it's another thing to not have your second best player uh on the road in a big time sec atmosphere so we'll see not an excuse but that is a reality that cedric tillman is the best receiver in the conference and uh, tennessee might not have him so we'll see ultimately but smoky grace uh it's a good sign i, I like that to uh add a little bit more fear in the bayou Bengals uh as we head to Baton Rouge. I'm excited. I've Pope always Fox. said that, yeah, like that's when Georgia should bust out their, their their black jerseys when they go on the road when someone like Georgia Tech is wearing white at home or LSU wears white at home. Perfect time. Perfect time to bust them out. No, so, yeah. it should be Auburn. Like, I don't know why you don't just do it the home games against Auburn. Like, that's where you had the, the dancing, crank that soldier boy and everything. Just do it against Auburn. Like that's they the should Auburn just thing. do it once a year regardless. Yeah. They, I, I just, I don't, I don't think one team should... Like, I don't think you should wear them against one team every year. Like, I, I think – I don't want to give anyone that satisfaction. It's not a special occasion playing you. We're just rocking our black jerseys because we want to rock them, you know? All right, well, we'll get more into the Auburn-Georgia stuff in a second, Without which is so weird. October 5th, and we're talking about Auburn-Georgia. Just a weird, weird schedule. Yeah, thing. we should so be strange. talking Georgia-Tennessee right now. Yeah. All right, well, where are we going next? Keeping it moving. Um, like I said uh, about the Kansas-TCU game – Texas and Oklahoma, unranked, uh, meeting each other when both teams are unranked for the first time since 1998. Mm. Um, and Oklahoma is a six-and-a-half-point dog in this one. Um, I guess we're, we got no Dylan Gabriel for Oklahoma in this one. General booty. Um, so I just – Quinn Ewers is back. Texas is just – I believe in Texas with Quinn Ewers. I feel like <laughs> – it's it's almost night and day how I feel about this team without with and without Quinn Ewers, and Oklahoma. I'm just I think they're about to drop to 0 and 3 in the conference. I just I don't I don't like this Oklahoma team right now. So yeah, give me give me Texas to win and cover. I like it. Um, I'm right there with you. This is one where if you're um, oh also one quick thing, Graham uh, 
Graham Coffee had this stat. I wanted to throw out on the Tennessee LSU real quick, and just and then we'll get right back to it. I forgot to mention this. Uh, for the program, Graham, uh, he put out uh, Tennessee is two and sixteen on the road versus ranked SEC West teams the last twenty years, which is wild. Um, three and twenty-eight on the road versus ranked SEC teams. Period. The last fifteen years, and a favorite versus LSU. It's just the third time they've been a road favorite versus a ranked SEC team in fifteen years. Thirty-two games total. It's wild. So. Mm. I don't know. They're going against history on Saturday, but we'll see. We'll see. Uh, in terms of Oklahoma and Texas, how many times would you – like this was something I thought was interesting because I went back and I double-checked this when I saw the stat and I was going through each game because it felt like this, but you kind of had to like double do a double-take like a lot of these games might blend together a little bit. Like I remember the Kyler run. I remember different things, and you're just like, all right, let me go back. And which year did that happen? How many games of the last eight years in the Red River – shootout which we will be calling not the red river rivalry <laughs> and that alliteration nonsense we're doing the red river shootout on this very program um how many would you ex- uh, would you guess had uh the game come down to one score or less in the last eight meetings oh man there was those i think there was like four or five in a row right they came right down to the last score i, I would guess uh six of the last eight all of the last mm. eight all wow. of the last eight. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, this is a rivalry. To, like, from the outside, it feels like Oklahoma kind of, like, dominates. Like, mm-hmm. it feels like they're just the superior program. But it's it's not quite as one-sided as I really expect, as I ever expected. I feel like every single game, like you said, is, is comes down to the last score. Yeah, and I think, too, like, so OU last year had the biggest comeback ever when they were down 21 late and stunned texas so texas had them on the ropes a year ago uh with sark and oklahoma lost two straight now we, we you said this last week you're like oh he's not gonna lose two straight like that's except that's possible and they've done it before and now we're at this point where i think we have to really recalibrate how we view oklahoma in this year zero for brent venables and what he's doing there and especially um with um with Dylan Gabriel out for this one, that matters a great deal. I just, I think this Oklahoma team might just be bleh this year. I mean, they might be the fifth, sixth best team in the conference. And I think Texas, when healthy, is better. And you mentioned Quinn Ewers. It's not even Quinn Ewers for me in this matchup. What have the last two teams done? Uh, Max Duggan had his big runs and TCU was able to run the ball in Oklahoma. Week prior, Adrian Martinez and Deuce Vaughn did all they wanted to do on the ground. Bijan Robinson coming into the year, we said might be the best running back in college football. I think that matters the most to me in this one, where I think Bijan has a big time game and they don't have to throw everything at Quinn Ewers to go get them a win in this rivalry game. Like they are not just like, hey, you're back. All right, go win us <laughs> the Oklahoma game. I think this is where Bijan should have his biggest game because PFF, guess who is number one in most missed tackles forced of any running backs? Uh, of anywhere in the country or in the Big 12 this year. It's Texas with 66, and it's a distant number one. I think that matchup is a problem for Oklahoma, and I, if Texas should win this game, and I would be pretty surprised if Texas doesn't take care of business here. So give me Texas to win and cover. We agree, sir. Um, keeping it moving, uh, Purdue at Maryland, and Maryland is a four-point favorite at home. What are your thoughts about this one? So we talked about last week, um, 
Purdue's maybe turned the corner a little bit, and now we're like, oh, wait, Purdue might be the best team in the SEC West uh, this year. But Maryland, obviously going to the distance with Michigan, who were like, well, maybe Michigan has some flaws. Like the pass offense just isn't quite there. Uh, Blake Corum is an elite running back in this country, but like I have questions about their, their ability to uh, throw downfield and be electric in the passing game. We haven't seen it yet from J.J. McCarthy. There's still time. It's a long season, but we haven't seen it yet. We've seen it from baby Tua. He has been one of the best quarterbacks in college football this year, both through the air and in the, uh, on the ground. But you do some deep dives in uh, the old uh, trusty Phil Steele annual, and Maryland just has a really bad record uh, versus Big Ten West teams in the past. And that was an alarming stat. And then I was looking at just, you know, what uh, competition and, like, how Maryland and Purdue have stacked up in the conference. Maryland, number two in passing offense in the conference this year. Purdue, number three. But what's the most interesting to me is Purdue is number one in the Big Ten uh, in pass yards versus power five competition. So Purdue has played the best when they are playing the best. They play down to their competition a little bit. I think Purdue is going to win this game, and I think Purdue is going to cover. I think Purdue has made the jump. I think they're fine. They're moving in the right direction, and uh, I think the Big Ten West is theirs this year. I'm shocked, sir. I thought you were the the head of the Baby Tua fan club. Look, I like Baby Tua. I like Maryland. I think this will be a close game, but I think Purdue, for whatever reason, it's just like when they play bad teams, you're like, ooh, is that Purdue now? Like, is that uh, – why do we ever buy into Purdue? And then they play Ohio State, Penn State, whoever, and they wake back up. And this is a good Maryland team, so they're going to be up for this one because I think they know they're playing for the Big Ten West now. So give me the Boilermakers to win this one. Yeah, like I said, I, I was surprised to see you go that way, but uh, I'm also I'm also feeling the Boilermakers. It's mm. just uh, something about this team going at Minnesota. I feel like they kind of won me over with that with that victory, holding Minnesota to ten points. Um, I think Minnesota is a better team than Maryland personally. Um, Maryland probably has a better offense, but uh, yeah, they also I mean tough games with Penn State and Syracuse. This Purdue team is tested, so I think uh, yeah, I also like them to go on the road and get the win and cover. You're just bad because, like, you're not going to be able to make up as much ground this week. Hey, it's only, what, week six? It's, mm-hmm. uh, we got a marathon, sir. It's, uh, we got a long way to go. Mm-hmm. All right, man. Where are we going next? Keeping it moving. Uh, the 3.30 CBS game. Auburn goes on the road at Georgia. Deep mm. South's oldest rivalry. And Georgia is a 29.5-point favorite, sir. Um, this spread is just massive, especially after Georgia, two underwhelming performances in a row, uh, almost, almost lost to, to Missouri, who looks like maybe the worst team in the bit in the sec so far. Um, pretty close to the bottom. I was gonna say, did Vanderbilt leave the conference? What happened here? I mean, jury's still out on that about <laughs> Vanderbilt and Missouri, who's better, to be honest. But uh, Missouri obviously gave Georgia a tough game. But the, while this spread looks just absolutely insane, Auburn just doesn't really score touchdowns when they play in Sanford Stadium. I think you got to go back like ten, their last 10 visits to, uh, to Sanford Stadium, and they haven't scored more than one touchdown in any of them. Um, you go uh, 29 and a half is a lot. Georgia is getting AD, not AD Mitchell back this week, and Arian Smith is healthy. 
I think it's all about how Georgia executes in the red zone. I think I, we talked about this last week. Feed Brock Bowers the ball. Like this man, I'm wondering if Georgia's to start playing him at running back and just making sure this guy gets like 15 to 20 touches a game. Like he's just, he's clearly the best player on this team. And Georgia just needs to do a better job of feeding him, scoring touchdowns. They need to get back to what they were doing early in the season, which was just throwing all these short passes to the running backs, to the tight ends out in the flat, to the playmakers, and just let them make plays after the catch. So you, you hardly saw any of that in the Missouri game until the fourth quarter, and, and it immediately worked just about every time they did it. So I while this spread does seem crazy, I do think Georgia is going to be a little extra motivated. Big-time rivalry game, national television. Um, and I think they're going to come out and take care of business. I don't think Auburn's going to score double digits. So give me a, give me Georgia. I think it's going to be like a 38-7 type of game. And I think Georgia take, takes care of business. Whew. Interesting. Um, here is something else that I thought was funny. And I just don't know what you're doing here if you're this Auburn team. The, did you see what the Auburn center said today? <laughs> Brandon yeah, Council. He said, quote, if we can keep them out of their third down packages, we can demolish them. What are you doing? Why are you giving them bulletin board material a couple of days yeah, before this game? What are you exactly. doing? I um I'm fascinated with a couple of things. Like I wonder if this is it for Harson, if there's like a number of embarrassment where that's like, all right, yeah, this is it. Like if we get embarrassed by a certain number on the road at uh at UGA, then maybe this is where we call it quits. I'm not sure. We we talked about the schedule, and Auburn is just uh, in the midst of a brutal, brutal schedule um, that I just don't see going their way. But the dogs are still number one in points allowed in the SEC. Auburn's 13th in yards per play in the SEC. Not good. There are 14 teams. The offense isn't good. Um, UGA, they are. Uh, they've won five straight against Auburn, which I d- didn't realize. Which is Guess how long it's been since UGA won five straight in the series. Um, is that like first time ever? 1944 through 1948 was the last time they had this long of a streak against Auburn. Wow. I, I don't think this is going to be close. Like the difference with the Mizzou thing, it's like, it's at Mizzou. It's a night game. Like it's a little bit different. This is at Georgia. I don't see this same kind of thing happening. Like when was the, was the last home loss for Georgia? In this series, uh, 2005 is the last time Auburn beat Georgia in Athens. And, yeah, yeah. the last time they scored more than 10 points um, in Athens was 2009. Mm. Actually, the last time they scored more than 10 points in the state of Georgia playing Georgia was 2009 because they also throw in that SEC championship as well. Yeah, I just don't see a path. Like, Robbie Ashford, not good. And we already know about the second half stuff for, for Auburn. Just getting He looked absolute- good for about a quarter and a half or two quarters against LSU. And then I'm not really sure what happened to Auburn's offense after that. I mean, four turnovers for Auburn, one for LSU. It was just, uh, you can't win football games playing that way and turn the ball over. Um, and Brian Harson teams, for whatever reason, uh, they just get obliterated in the second half. Um, things just go awry. So maybe it's close in the first half. Uh, maybe, uh, but I think EGA either way wins and covers very easily. Give me the dogs in a big one. That is the one thing about, you said, five straight wins for Georgia in this series. Mm. They've only scored more than 30 in one of these last five. So hmm. they're, they're really just kind of suffocating them, but they don't, they're not necessarily blowing them out. 
just hanging 40 on them uh, in most of these games. But yeah, I think it's one of the less talked about like one-sided rivalries, honestly. Like 14 of the last 17. Like I think Georgia's Georgia's really dominated this series in recent history. Absolutely. Where are we going next? Uh, keeping it moving out to the Pac-12, also at 3.30. Uh, we got Utah at UCLA. Mm. And um, I was going back and forth on this. I... I feel like UCLA really sold me last week. I was uh, very impressed with with the Bruins. I feel like they are one of one of the best teams in the Pac-12. I think I can, I think we can say that now. However, I think Utah might still be the best team in the Pac-12. I think they're they're right up there. UCLA seems sexier, but Utah just seems like they're just they're 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 solid. They're gonna they're gonna get it done. I just I like this Utah team. They, I think they've won I believe five straight uh, in this series over UCLA. Um, give me the give me the Utes to uh, to go on the road and win and cover. Interesting. So Bruins they're different. I think a lot of people are just they write off the Bruins. I mean there wasn't a bunch of fan support for what happened last Friday and. Look, sir, you taking the Bruins, are you just giving the Bruins some flowers here? Uh, a week after you turned your back on a Matt Green staple in favor of the Huskies walking into the Rose Bowl and just taking care of business on a Friday night in spoopy season, it, uh, it, it hurts my soul to see you uh, flip-flop like that, Matt Green. But the Bruins are a good team. Let me start there. Utah has also won five straight in the series. Utah is 12th in scoring defense nationally. They figured out a lot of stuff since that uh, road game at Florida to kick things off here where they really should have won that game, but they just did a lot of stuff dumb. And then obviously we saw what happened in the end in the red zone and just the stupid pick and that sort of thing. The difference though with UCLA this year than the Chip Kelly teams in the past, UCLA's defense is good. And we saw it against Washington. After the first quarter, they really settled down and figured stuff out. Uh, and took advantage of UW being a really one-dimensional team through the air, they're 38th in scoring defense nationally. Last year, the Bruins were 73rd. So they've really, really improved, and we know they're a top-20 offense. DTR, Bobo, and you talked about it last week, Charbonnet. <sighs> this was tough for me, where I... The thing that I keep going back to, because this is in UCLA, right? Yeah. Is this going to be my upset of the week? Am I going to do this? Am I going to go 6-0 and UCLA? Do I think the Utah on the road? Because Utah schedule, let me pull it up real quick. Because I've gone back and forth on this one today. And, yeah, okay. Guess who they have next week at home? Do they have USC? They do have USC at home. Is this not just let down City? where they're just thinking about USC, the future of the Pac-12, this would be the worst thing to happen to USC, is UCLA just sitting there lurking at home, Utah just thinking about Pac-12 glory, thinking about stomping all over the Trojans, the new Pac-12 darling, overlooking the other undefeated team in the Pac-12 in the process, and getting snake bit by DTR and company. Give me the Bruins and an upset as a prelude to the Utes taking down the Trojans at home the following week. Uh, give me the Bruins here in an upset. 6-0 Bruise. 
All right, put it on the board. I um I don't know if you can. I don't know if you're if it's a trap game if you're going on the road at the 18th ranked team. You know, I think that's a you got to get up for a for a ranked matchup. But we'll see. I trust Kyle Whittingham. He'll have his guys ready. All right, we'll see. I mean, I we know that Kyle Whittingham. It'll be close. I just I like UCLA at home here. And uh, give me give me the Bruins. Those uh those eight thousand fans are gonna get their money's worth. Which is um, so sad because what a venue. If I if I was a UCLA yeah. student, I would be there all the time. Like the Rose Bowl is amazing. Why would I? Why would you not be there? It's um, fun keep, offense. It's great to watch. That's true. They have been fun to watch. Um, keeping it moving, we got North Carolina going on the road at Miami. Hurricanes are a four-point favorite at home. And I'll be honest, I just don't know. I don't know what hurricane team we're getting. I like is Tyler Van like we're coming off a bye week now. Like is, is Tyler Van Dyke, is he gonna be back? Or have we have we officially made the move to uh to Jake Garcia? I don't think so. I'm pretty sure it's Van Dyke starting, last I checked. I mean you do have a you do have a bye week to to yeah. circle the wagons as they say, but I feel like I can just – I trust that North Carolina is going to score some points. They might lose this game 40 to th- 37 or something, but I, uh, I I like North Carolina. I feel like I can trust North Carolina to actually score points, and I don't even – I don't even know – I don't know what side of the ball is going to play well for Miami. So give me, give me North Carolina to go on the road into, I would say, Coral Gables, but I believe it's Miami Gardens is where they play. Um, so yeah, go on the road, get the win. I'm surprised you did this. I am surprised you went this way. Drake May is going to be a first round quarterback. That's my guy. He's legit. He's been sensational, uh, this year for the Tar Heels. Um, Tyler Van Dyke, rough year. This is quite alarming. This was when I decided that UNC was winning this game on the road at Miami. Matt Green quote from Barry Jackson, a good, uh, Miami sports reporter. He said, quote, UM's Tyler Van Dyke reveals one change now. He's being more together with Gaddis and Ponce, not only at one time, at not only one at a time, and telling them what I like and I don't like and trying to get comfortable feeling with them and being there more with them instead of them, instead of them on my own. This does not seem like a great quarterback room and just clarity with what the responsibilities are and everyone working hand in hand. I don't know. It seems that's just a weird quote and a weird vibe in this quarterback room. And like you said, Van Dyke got benched last time we saw him for Jake Garcia, uh, formerly of Grayson and Valdosta lore. I, it would not surprise me if Miami won this game. They have more talent. They should, like we thought that they could be a 10 win team preseason wise, just based on their personnel and just the amount of talent that, I mean, Miami brought in uh, both with the staff and everything else, but it might just take a little bit more time at Miami. And I just, the fall from grace from Tyler Van Dyke is, uh, is rough because there were people who were wondering if he was going to be the first pick in the draft. Uh, he's kind of doing this year's version of Spencer Rattler, I think, a little bit, uh, is what I was thinking when I was thinking about where his fall just kind of reminds me of. I have a stat for you highest graded quarterbacks on third and fourth down in college football this year. Number one. CJ Stroud at 94.7. Number two, Drake May at 93.3. Drake May's legit, man. Even in big time clutch moments where he has to make a play, that's a lot for a young quarterback. And Drake May is, uh, 
He's big time. So give me the Tar Heels on the road here to win and cover. We agree again, sir. Um, I don't mean to do this. I'm not trying to sit on my lead, Matt Green. No, you've already declared what your strategy (laughs) was going to be if you got a lead. So the listeners, we have receipts. We know exactly Mm. what you're up to. Um, But keeping it moving, Washington State goes on the road at USC. And USC is an 11.5-point favorite in this one. And I'm just not sure how to feel about the 11 and a half. I just keep going back mm. to like that Oregon State game, just how ugly it was. I mean, what was it? Four turnovers to four to zero in the turnover margin. You win 14 seven. Um, Arizona State, they, you know, they took a little bit care, took care of business a little better against Arizona State. But uh, I don't know. I like Cam Ward. He's he's been good this year, but he's also I mean, he's turned it over a lot. And this USC defense has a knack for forcing turnovers this year. I feel like I, I struggle with the eleven and a half, but um, give me USC and I'll take them to cover as well. But mm. I don't feel great about it. I feel like this could be closer than than I've given uh, the Cougs credit for. Cougs are a hard team to get a, a read on this year. Um, number 25 yeah. in scoring defense. Uh, but here's the thing. Here's what I came back to with this one. Sorry to do it to you, Cougs. USC's going down. Like, eventually that's going to happen. I think it's next week on the road at Utah. But what makes me think the Cougs are going to be in trouble here. USC, the biggest thing about this team outside of Caleb Williams putting on a clinic. I don't know if you watched some of the throws, but he was Patrick Mahomesing it uh, last Saturday night uh, against the Arizona State Sun Devils. Had some really bonkers throws. He had this cool jump throw at one point in this game. Um, just really active in the pocket and just he's quietly just having a Heisman type year. Like he is absolutely one of the best quarterbacks in college football and has been sensational since arriving on campus. So he's been everything uh, you expected him to be. Uh, when uh, he transferred to USC. The Cougs are 116th in turnover margin. It's bad. 131 teams in college football. You don't want to be in that 116th in turnover margin. You're playing with fire at that point. USC's number one, man. USC's going to take advantage of this. They're not going to turn the ball over. I think Washington State's going to do too many little dumb things that USC's just going to break you on um, because they've done so well at playing keep away and ensuring that they maintain control. So... Give me the Trojans to both win and cover in Pullman. All right. We agree again, sir. Um, Mm. BYU in Las Vegas taking on the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Um, My my uniform flag, I need to get it. I'm going (laughs) to throw it on this one. These Notre Dame uniforms, one of the worst uniforms I've ever seen in my life. I don't know if you've seen these. I have not. Let me look them up. Yeah, look them up. They got these like gold shoulder things and gold stripes going down the side. And I think they have like dice and like different Las Vegas themed things throughout the uniform. And they're just awful. And I thought Notre Dame's entire brand was like this tradition and everything. Oh, these look quite bad. Can't stand them. Every basically every alternate jersey Notre Dame has rocked outside of just the plain solid green ones back from the Darius Walker era that we talk about. Every other alternate jersey they've rocked has looked terrible. Like I just don't know what they're doing. They have no names on the back of the jersey, no logo. Like do your classic 1940s thing. Like you don't have to do anything. You're Notre Dame. But that's my rant for the uniforms. 
And because of those uniforms, I cannot in good conscience pick a team that's going to wear uniforms like that. Just awful. But also BYU, are they going to have more fans at this game than Notre Dame? Mm, no. no? North, Notre Dame's a national brand, man. It There's is a good. national brand, but, I mean, BYU right out here in Provo going to the trip, the short trip to Vegas – I mean, honestly, BYU. I guess if we're real talk, they might not even they might not even go to Las Vegas. I don't know. That might that might be something they're against. But I just I look at this BYU team and with Jaron Hall at quarterback, I just feel like I mean they got that good win over Baylor. I just feel like this is a, a good team. And Notre Dame, while they've they've cleaned up their act the last couple weeks, and like I guess it's Drew Pine now, like he's been better, um, but they're still like this team just doesn't seem special at all and so i just i like byu better i'm gonna go i'm gonna go with the cougars to win and uh notre dame i didn't say it is a three-point favorite in this one but i'm gonna go with byu to win uh win outright in this one i like that notre dame has a bye before this game uh, after beating north carolina in a big kind of season saving win uh two weeks ago i think that matters just getting right and getting pine two weeks to just kind of get ready for a good BYU team. BYU is also blacking out for this one, and those look pretty cool. I looked at that. I don't know if you saw what BYU is wearing, but they're wearing uh, oh, some black unis, and I think those are those are pretty cool looking. So I wish this wasn't in uh, Vegas. It goes without saying. This would be cool if it was just in Provo. Um, they did a home-and-home. Home. These teams should play more often. I don't know why BYU uh, and Notre Dame rarely play because the last time they played – I'll look this up. Um, they have not, so they haven't lost to BYU since 2005, and they haven't played. It's been a little bit. I forget. I, I lost it. I don't know where it went. But Notre Dame has not lost to BYU since 2005. They don't play that all that often, so that's not a big deal. But something I thought was kind of a big deal BYU still hasn't named a kicker uh, for this one. And in the game where it's a three point, they're a three point dog. If I'm a BYU fan, I'm a little nervous about our kicking situation. Um, if this game's tight, uh, that's never good for college kickers and just being a college football fan for your coaching staff to not really feel good about wherever you're going on the kicking front. So that's a concern for me. Uh, the BYU DB Caleb Hayes said of this game, this is the holy war. Uh, that is what he said um, for ahead of this one. So I, I don't know. I don't like this matchup for the Cougs. I think Notre Dame comes out on the road, two weeks off, prepare for Jaron Hall and company. I think this is super close, but I think there's just enough for me to believe that Notre Dame's figuring some stuff out. The talent wins out. They play keep away. They play smart football and they win something like 26, 20, 21. Give me Notre Dame to barely win and cover. All right, lock it in. Um, and then the, the nightcap of our CBS doubleheader. Um, man, it's got to be the worst CBS doubleheader ever, right? 29.5 point uh, favorite in the first one, 24 point favorite in the second one. We got the Texas A&M Aggies going to Tuscaloosa to play number one Alabama. And like I said, 24 point favorite Alabama at home. I was foolish last week, you know, I questioned the Crimson Tide. <clears throat> this one, it's a little different if, like, we have heard, like, basically nothing about Bryce Young's injury. Like, maybe it's not that serious. I don't know. 
I tend to think even without Bryce Young, Alabama wins this game by 24 points because I just I just have not been impressed with Texas A&M. They're not going to be able to score. I don't see them scoring more than two touchdowns in this game. So uh, for that reason, especially with all the off-the-field things, like there's a chance uh, – this team plays with a chip on their shoulder, like they're uh, they're playing for their coach in this little pissing contest that Jimbo and Nick Saban have gotten into over the last few months. So um, I can almost see Alabama shutting A and M out completely in this game. So give me Alabama to win and cover. Oh wow! Um, basically, the basically what I've read about it is just this is painful as hell, full as hell. Like dealing with that AC sprain is just really really painful but it like he can play it's just like i feel like he's just gonna be he's a tough dude man based on what i'm reading about this and especially playing with this uh it seems like he is he's day-to-day i would assume he's gonna play it's just gonna be he's just gonna be in pain and this is not a good time for bryce young to be in this spot because you've got a&m in this defense which for everything else the defense is still solid like that's not been the question is texas a&m's defense then you get Tennessee the week after. I mean, Tennessee hits you. Like, they, they're sending people, and this is a more, a more aggressive unit, and they're going to be on the field a lot um, against Bama at home in that one. So, I don't know. Not a great time for Bryce Young to not be 100% if you're an Alabama fan. That being said, part of the – like we talked about on this podcast, like, you for a lot of these upsets, you got to – step one is just being at home and getting teams at the, the right time at home. And – Everything was set up for an A&M upset at home this time last year. On the road, obviously dis- different circumstances all across the board. I just don't I don't see it. I mean, the Aggies have lost, Matt Green, their last three road games. I, I had to double take at that. Like, they haven't won a road game uh, since their fourth game ago. Um, their two wins are extremely low scoring. If you see how many points they scored against Arkansas and Miami... It's not like they're putting up a bunch of points to beat those two schools. You're not going to be able to do that at Bama. Like, that's not how this works, uh, especially on the road. Bama's won their last 20 home games. Like, we're talking more, what is that, three years just about at home that they have not lost? This, I, I don't see it. I think this is rough. I think things are had, getting worse and worse in College Station. Give me Bama to win and cover. I'm not going to say roll. I'm not going to do that for them. In terms of, you can't do that. But yeah. in terms of like last year being a perfect storm or, or anything, though, they were not looking good last year. Like there was nothing that was yeah. hinting towards them upsetting Alabama last year. Like coming off two straight losses to Arkansas, Mississippi State, not really knowing like what the quarterback situation was. Calzada was looking pretty much as bad as ever. Mm-hmm. Um, so. You know, crazier things have happened, but um, yeah, I don't. But it was at home. It was exactly. It was at home, um, and yeah, I don't see it happening this year. Um, if if for the very just the very least that it they did beat them last year is probably the number one reason why they're not going to get them this year. Um, and then uh, our last one in our pick, um, we got Florida State going on the road at NC State. The Wolfpack is a three and a half point favorite at home. And you know I like the Wolfpack. You know I'm a Devin Leary guy. Um, Florida State, they've definitely shown signs of improvement this year. But um, I think the Wake Forest loss to me, 
like Wake Forest isn't a bad team, so it's not a bad loss, but it was just a very uninspiring uh, loss, I feel like, just kind of where Florida State is as a program right now. I personally still think NC State is a better team than Wake Forest. Um, so I just – I don't see – I think NC State's going to bounce back. They, they played Clemson close, but uh, I think Clemson's shown they're still the, the class of the ACC. But, uh, yeah, I don't see Florida State going on the road. And, uh, and beating NC State. So give me the Wolf Pack to bounce back this week to win and cover. This is my lock of the week. Just go ahead and lock it in. Sorry to Cousin Sam and all my family that went to FSU. There is zero chance, 0.0000 that the Wolf Pack lose at home to Florida State following uh, that close loss last week to uh, the Clemson Tigers. This is... Suddenly, I'm a little nervous about the rest of the way for Florida State. I was thinking, oh, turn the corner. Maybe they're the second best team in the ACC this year. This week, they're on the road at NC State. Next week, they're at home against Clemson. So two losses here. So where does that put them? What, four and three at that point? Right? Four um, and three? Don't have it. I don't have it right in front of me. Okay, I think it puts them at four and three. Yeah, I'm looking right here. So... That would put them at four and three. Then you get Georgia Tech, who just upset Pitt at home. Like, that's no longer. I'm with Jeff Collins gone. Like, they're just mercurial. Look at Nebraska post firing. Nebraska's uh, figuring some stuff out. I don't know. There might be some added juice, the Ed Orgeron effect. Like, you want him as an interim, you don't want him as the head guy. Like, <laughs> we're seeing that all across the board right now. Then you go to Miami. I don't think they'll be favored there. Syracuse is really good this year. They have to go to Syracuse later on this year. They didn't beat Florida last year when they had their chance when Florida was really down. I don't think they're going to be favored at home against Florida. Suddenly, this looks like maybe a 500 team again. And I thought they were turning the corner. I think there's a path to like five or six losses now. And that's a bummer if you're a Florida State fan because Jordan Travis has been tremendous. Um, they seem like they were turning the corner a little bit, but this part of the schedule sucks and I'm seeing at least Syracuse and, or Miami slash Florida state or Florida along with this Clemson and, uh, NC state loss. So I think best case scenario, they're seven and five this year, which, uh, a big flip since, uh, over what they were looking like a couple weeks ago, that wake loss really stings at home. You needed that one. You really, really needed to get that one done with what was, uh, lying ahead for the Knolls, and they, they just didn't. So I think I, – I, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer here, but I think uh, gloom and doom uh, is on the way for Florida State the rest of the way. With that said, Wake Forest could still be, you know, one of the better teams in the in the Atlantic Division. No, I'm just year. saying, like, that was like a moment. Like, you're looking for that next tier, right? Because you yeah. you see NC State, Clemson are on their own tier this year. You're fighting for that tier two, and I think Wake was right there. It was like Wake and Pitt and Florida State and – they were in that battle and they needed to cement themselves and they just that's when you got to get at home they're they're right there you got to get that home win yeah also at miami real real late in the season that was always mm. like what labor day weekend i was gonna say that used that to be a, the opener yeah it was always right there at the start of the year so little things college football just do it why like that why not just do why why ever move that game? Why is that not the Labor Day game? That was. Hey, I, I won't complain. They're still playing each other, so <laughs> I uh, I won't complain on that one. Is that their only other Florida team that they play? They only did Florida and Miami. Do I see? Because I don't. Yeah, they didn't play another Florida school. 
No, not this year. That's so weird. Why would you not have UCF or USF or whoever? Like, that's just – why do you not have more regional games? Why are you playing Louisiana? Why are you playing Duquesne? I mean, they played LSU. That was, that's, a, that's a great out-of-conference game. No, I just – I want more re- – whatever. I'm not going to get my soapbox about this. I just <laughs> – I think that's silly. Like, never mind. Like, Tennessee. Well, drop the Tennessee Martin and put Memphis on the schedule or put um, UTC or I don't know. Just give – throw them a bone for the in-state folks. I, I just – Is UT Martin different than playing UTC? Yeah, UTC is a powerhouse. FCS uh, <laughs> That's royalty. the exact same game. UT Chattanooga or UT Martin. Like, we want to ditch it for, like, Virginia Tech or something. See them? See Tennessee play North Carolina or something like that. I'm surprised we don't play North Carolina more. NC State, yeah. Some teams that are right there regionally. Virginia Tech's the one I want. Like, that's the yearly rivalry I want to create. Like, I think the Bristol was the starting point. Just yeah, really create sure. something there. I think there's... Maybe Tennessee-Louisville. You know, there's, just, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of options in there. It's possible. Possible. Um, Matt Green, I think uh, that does it for our pick. Um, were there some other games that we that did not make our pick on that we should touch on? There were. But before we do that, we uh, we disagreed on three games uh, this mm. week. So that's all. Uh, you you uh, with Tennessee LSU, we disagreed. Utah UCLA, and then uh, and then BYU Notre Dame, mm. um, and then you took uh, Kansas against the spread. But we both took TCU to win that one. Um, but yeah, so a lo- lot of similarities. Won't if I'm making up any ground, it probably won't be in week six. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. UCF, as we're recording, they blew out SMU tonight, so they're four and one, one and zero in the American. Um, that's one to watch. I am curious to see uh, Michigan at Indiana. Uh, Michigan's twenty-two and a half point favorite, but Indiana's been a little spunky. Uh, to start this year, Connor Basilek and company. Uh, Camper's been a really good receiver for them. Um, I don't know. I'm curious to see how that one goes. Mississippi State and Arkansas do battle at noon on the network. Mississippi State's nine half point favorite. I was surprised it was that high. Yeah, I wasn't. Uh, I'm very surprised by that. But if that's uh, with KJ Jefferson being out, that's that's a little bit different. So if KJ Jefferson's out, I mean, I feel completely different about Arkansas as a team. So. Yeah, that that'll be a tough one. Is there is there a word on if he's playing or not? I think he's playing. Last I checked, he was playing, but we'll see. Um, can I get on my soapbox real quick about UVA, who's hosting uh, Louisville? Louisville zero and three, by the way, to start this season in the ACC. Uh, Scott Satterfield, I think this is it for him at Louisville, and Tony Elliott zero and two to start things off. Louisville's a three point favorite on the road. What they've done to Brennan Armstrong is illegal in 19 states and look at this like this is one of those things where like Caleb Williams saw the Joe Burrow stuff and like we hate I'm gonna write about this probably pretty soon it's just like I hate every broadcast now spends like 13 minutes total being like and this guy came from this school and he's a transfer oh there it is to blank blank who transferred in from blank blank and it's like is this our future it's just half the broadcast is just the broadcast team telling fans who came from where and where you may have seen this player like on every single catch it's like oh the transfer from blank and it's like well when they start transferring multiple times they're just gonna go he started at blank and then he moved to blank and now he just made this big catch for blank and it's just exhausting i don't know i feel like i feel like you kind of have to though it's exhausting i can't stand it and i get like you said you kind of have to but like i don't know like 
when I was watching back the Florida Tennessee game and you hear Justin Short the Penn State and uh, Ricky Persall uh, from Arizona State like I could I lost track how many times they're mentioning who transferred in from where and just it's I, I can only imagine for a casual fan but Brent Armstrong stays and guess what if he had just transferred to Syracuse followed his guys which he should have done like Caleb Williams he's having a great year in the carrier dome don't care what it's called now in the carrier dome and instead it's Schrader who had shown nothing to this point but an eye comes up from the Bronco Mendenhall staff that offensive group comes up save Dino Baber's job Syracuse undefeated having a great year that offense is clicking he stays around being loyal to UVA this new offense sucks and he's in the last year. Like, this is it. Brent Armstrong just tanked when he was going in the year as maybe the best ACC quarterback. He sticks around one year too long. The staff leaves him. That's it. Do we have to ask some questions about Tony Elliott? Well, it's funny you say that because, remember, he was the favorite for the Tennessee job, and it was like, oh, it looks like it's going to be Tony Elliott who gets pried away. And they were, like, in deep uh, like deep discussions uh, for Tony Elliott. Uh, to be the one who replaced Pruitt and ends up being Josh Heupel. Like, I feel pretty good uh, the way. Also, sneakily, do you know what coaching tree really sucks? Dabo Sweeney's. It is a just a mm. disaster. Jeff Scott, Chad Morris, Tony Elliott to this point, not a great tree. Not a lot of success when they leave that. And Brent Venables struggling a little bit at Oklahoma. Like, he obviously coached uh Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence but like those guys like how much better did those guys get from their freshman to junior year it seems like those guys were just ballers right like I don't know how much he truly developed them like obviously you can kind of cherry pick um when it comes to players and like you know give guys credit for this guy but don't give them credit for someone else but those guys were kind of you know generational talents and they they played well i think i know uh watson threw a lot of interceptions his junior year not that he wasn't still a really good player but it's like if without watson and trevor lawrence this clemson offense has looked pretty bad with dj uh last year and even the one year with kelly bryant wasn't very good so yeah now we saw how good brennan armstrong was last year so to, to see him look like a bad quarterback I mean, it's hard not to point to the coaching. Um, I would also keep an eye on 7.30 on the network, UK hosting uh, a desperate South Carolina team who is 0-2 in the conference in the UK, uh, looking to bounce back after almost losing <clears throat> on the road at uh, Old Miss. I'm curious, 0-3 South Carolina in the SEC. I was told that uh, things were moving in the right direction for the co-rookie coach of the year. Um it's amazing uh, that that did not go that way and that one is unlike the other. Uh, but I was told that it just the sleeping giant and uh, South Carolina, the preseason, they're just – look, I don't want to pick on South Carolina fans. Great fans. I just – rough, man. It's, uh, it's a rough time, and I don't see it getting better in uh, Gamecock country this year. Well, and I remember telling you about that after watching SEC Media Days. Like, I was just so confused watching the SEC Network and the way everyone was talking about South Carolina. It was almost like like the team that could challenge Georgia and all this stuff. I'm like, do you, are you guys meaning Tennessee? Is that who <laughs> y'all are talking about? Like, South Carolina was, like, fine, but 
like they they kind of benefited from from some teams being really down last year and teams firing their head coaches and teams just checking out of the season like Tennessee is actually a, a threat a national you know contender at this point South Carolina is is not and at Kentucky like as Kentucky I feel like is going to play with every single team they play so like I'm not going to say Kentucky's going to like blow them out out of the window or something it's probably going to be like a one possession game in the final minutes but Kentucky just seems like a better team so I'd be surprised if South Carolina goes in and, and gets the win I would be too I would I think this might be a bloodbath of just them being pissed off and getting back home uh for the Wildcats I mean they're where yeah they're 52nd in passing offense this year like 52nd like what the Rattler stuff there's re like Caleb Williams took over, doing great. Like Spencer Rattler's just is just not gonna work out. Like it's just it's not not gonna happen. Uh, it turns out. I mean, he has four TDs, seven picks through five games this year, completing sixty four percent of his passes. He completed seventy four percent last year. This is wow. his worst mark since his freshman year. That's not good. No, like it's just. I don't know. I don't want to pick on the South Carolina fan too less. And so we apologize. It's not you guys. It's just. I, I, I don't see it. This is uh, Shane Beamer's a likable dude. And I think that's where a lot of this stems from is like, he's an easy guy to root for, but similar to Vanderbilt and Clark Lee, where are the wins coming? Who are they beating? Who in the sec are you actually picking them to beat and over and just usurp in this conference, especially in this division? It's not Kentucky. It's not Tennessee. It's not Georgia. Who is it? Well, the one thing I will say in South Carolina's defense is coming into the season, like Arkansas and Georgia were not supposed to be wins. So they haven't lost anyone that they weren't supposed to lose to. So, you know, at Kentucky, an A&M team that doesn't look very good so far, Missouri at Vanderbilt, even Florida, like we'll see what kind of team this, this really is because – that was the one thing. It's like as as good as they were and they were like moving in the right direction, we talked about like this is not an easy schedule. Like they've never beaten Texas A&M since they've been locked rivals and getting Arkansas on the road was not a good uh not a good year to get the Razorbacks either in your in your SEC West rotation. So, part of it is the schedule is is really tough this year. So, I I, I won't say that they're just like not a good team yet or we just know they're a bad team, I should say. I think we can probably say they're not a very good team, but we don't know that they're a bad team yet. I think this this middle this October little portion of the of the schedule, I think is gonna gonna bring things a little more clear uh, for South Carolina. Fair enough, Matt Green. Well, that the, is, the yeah. last one I wanted to touch on. What do you think? What are your what's your take on Missouri and Florida? Oh, I think Florida one's big. I see. I I think that's the thing is. Florida hasn't beaten Missouri very big in most of their like Missouri's just one of those teams that you just kind of you kind of forget about. They're just like a an afterthought. And if I'm not mistaken, their last couple of trips to the swamp have uh, haven't been good for uh, for the Gators. Maybe I just feel like Mizzou just I mean there has to be an after effect of just having George on the ropes and really. I mean, they really just should have won that game, and I don't know that to ask them to get up right after that on the road at Florida. I don't know when they went to the swamp; it was following Georgia the previous week. 
but something just tells me that that it's just going to be a letdown spot for them. Like to get right back up when you just had the best team in the conference on the brink and you punt and expect to get the ball back because you put the ball that you put the the ball in the defense's hands like go get a stop and get us that ball back one more time and of course they don't get said stop and they lose the game that's really deflating to trust your defense like that and then to not get that stop and lose the game in that kind of fashion by playing conservative against the dogs when you were playing uh cover zero all night long and then uh, get conservative at the end when it matters it's just a bad look i don't i don't see it i uh think the gators run all over them and they uh they went comfortably Missouri won uh, 24-23 last year. They mm-hmm. won three of the last five against Florida. Mm. And uh, Florida is 3-2 and two against Missouri at home since joining the SEC. So we'll see. This is not one of the better Florida teams. You do have to go back to McIlwain the last time they won in the Swamp. But uh, I don't know. We'll see. It might not be the uh, the easy win that the Gators are expecting. But yeah, I also expect I expect Florida to win, but I expected Georgia to, to blow out Missouri as well. Maybe that was just a, an aberration, and they'll get back to playing the the mediocre football that they've they've been playing most of the season. Where's Tennessee when you need them? Because let me go ahead and write this one in stone after what we've seen the last couple of years. Tennessee wins by seven touchdowns. Uh, Tennessee is absolutely gonna up obliterates the Missouri Tigers. It's just a terrible matchup. And uh, yeah, no, they got their coach fired. I think last year, the defensive line coach got fired following uh, the Tennessee beatdown on the road, by the way, in Mizzou, some sec East teams take care of business when they go to Columbia, Matt Green, some don't mess around and just stomp that one out early. Others, the Georgia Bulldogs have never lost in Columbia, Missouri. I don't think the, uh, I don't think the Tennessee volunteers can say the same. That's a good question. Wait, have Tennessee lost in Columbia? I honestly don't know. I was hoping you. You know. were going through that. You just threw that out there. But since they've been in the conference that long, I don't think Tennessee has lost. In uh, let's, I gotta look at this. Uh, we gotta, we gotta look it up now. Because now, is, uh, compelling radio here. Google search. Uh, so Mizzou lost in 2019 at home. They lost in 2021 at home. They. One in 2017. They blew out Tennessee in 2017. 50-17. to 17. Mm, There you go. Yeah, blew out Florida in 2017 uh, on the road as well. And then 2013. I guess that was the is Franklin that, year. That Drew Locke? Which uh, year? 2017? 20, that sound, what, yeah, it had to be Drew Locke. 50-17 to, to 17 exactly two years in a row. How insane is that? Mm, that is true. 50-17 <laughs> to 17 exactly. Wow, that's wild. Yeah, one and of those that was a Josh I think 2018. Heupel. I think 2018 was the year Drew Lock threw for like almost 50 touchdowns. I want to say. Josh Heupel. There you go. Some things come full circle. Uh, Matt Green, we can find you on Twitter. I was, I was yeah. incorrect. It was 2017. Threw for 40, 44 touchdowns that year. How many picks? Wasn't it something super small too? 44, 13. 13. Okay. Uh, Matt Green, we can find you on Twitter at Matt W or Matt underscore W underscore Green. Follow myself at Chase underscore Thomas. More to come on this edition of the program, so stick around here on the Chase Thomas podcast on the Blue Wire Pod Network. Leave us a five star rating and review, all that good stuff. Support support the show if you have not already done so by hitting that subscribe button on your preferred podcast player and liking this video if you're watching on YouTube.com. Right there, like and subscribe. That would be great so we can continue to grow out the YouTube channel. For that guy down there in Tequila, Georgia, 
the lowly Tequila Falcons, who are really having a rough go of it uh, this 2022 GHSA season. For myself right? up here, yeah, they're not doing well. For myself up here in Knoxville, Tennessee, that is all I've got, my friend, and I will talk to you Sunday night. Yes, sir. All right, hello, welcome back on a Wednesday here on the Chase News Podcast, where I'm now joined old friend Peach State Life back in the home state, Mr. West Blankenship of Dogs HQ. Uh, West, good afternoon, sir. How are you? Yeah, good to see you, Chase. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for being here, man. What is Peach State Life? Where is that from? Uh, Peach State Light, actually. It's, oh, Light. Uh, okay. Yeah, it's, it, it does look like an F. Um, uh, one of my buddies named Jake Sapp is launching a uh, beer here in Athens, and it's a pretty simple goal of his. He doesn't want to scale to the uh, to the level of, you know, launching a bunch of different brews and pilsners and lagers and all that stuff. He just wants to do one beer really well. And uh, I invite anyone who's in the Athens, Georgia, Northeast Georgia area to check them out. They're pretty good. And uh, Jake's a good guy, so I wanted to support him. I'm a big fan of local businesses and big fan of Athens stuff. So uh, here we are. There you go. Same here. And in beer, too. I like beer. So right, Well, there you go. Um, Wes, you um, and the good folks over there at Dogs HQ, you're having to weather a little bit of a storm here over the week. You got Joel Klatt, eyes just peered right towards the dogs and uh, what Kirby said following uh, the dogs escaping with a victory mm-hmm. in uh, Columbia uh, with, you know, you're getting every, it, this is the best place to be. I think um, when uh, just being a fan is when, <laughs> in, especially in college football is that you've reached the pinnacle. Everyone has established that you are the top dog, pardon the pun there. Yeah. And that when you can say, and this, whether it's true or not, we're going to get everyone's best game week over week. That's a great place to be because it, it's just, it's not true. It's not reality. It's not mm-hmm. like everyone's going to get up because there's the flip side where I'm certain there are a lot of locker rooms when they got the dogs on the schedule, they're looking at it and they're going, man, this sucks. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not looking forward to this one uh, and knowing that it's going to go a certain way. But the, the idea that you're just getting everybody's best game week over week is, uh, is just kind of silly, but I do think it's fascinating and it adds another element to what we thought uh, was going to be Georgia coasting to another undefeated regular season. And it doesn't seem to be uh, with the last two weeks, it's going to be as just uh, easy as many of us may have predicted before the season. But as someone who has watched every minute of the dogs the last two weeks, what is real and what is uh, what is just false in terms of the narrative surrounding Georgia escaping the last two weeks? Well, I think Georgia's kind of been a victim of the narratives that the media has created. Look, I work in the media, but entering the season, I certainly didn't expect this Georgia team to go undefeated in the regular season just because it's so difficult to do it. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's a younger team and now you know they go out and blow out Oregon get everybody's attention they start super fast and then you know the last couple weeks Kent State Missouri you've seen Georgia's you know less than their best effort and against Missouri their worst effort but Missouri also had nothing to lose in that game and that's what you were talking about Chase about 
teams uh, giving Georgia their best game, Missouri could afford to blitz Stetson Bennett on every snap because Mm -hmm. why not? Why not do it? Why not go cover zero? Why not blitz six guys? Why not uh, blitz seven? I think they did that a couple times too. So, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things going on. But one good game against Oregon did not mean that Georgia was going to go undefeated. But because Georgia had just won the national championship game, and that's their first game out is uh, against a Power 5 opponent who's currently in the top 15, and you blow them out, then all of a sudden people immediately think, oh, wow, Georgia's back. Mm -hmm. But even with that being said, I think our staff, our crew at Dogs HQ has been pretty measured. We didn't get too over the top about the predictions that the national media did. So now, you know, you hear guys like Joel Klatt, he's a smart dude. He knows the sport, but he doesn't cover Georgia day in and day out. All he can react to is what everyone's been saying the first three, four weeks of the season is that Georgia is, you know, destined to repeat, destined to run the table, destined to beat everybody by double digits. When I think if you are really looking at the team uh, objectively, you know that wasn't necessarily going to be the case. And uh, a young team was going to have to learn some hard lessons that guys like N'Kobe Dean and Jordan Davis uh, learned when they played. You know, they didn't just hop on the scene and beat everybody and dominate everybody. They had tough games at Alabama where they lost in 2020. They had tough games against Florida. They had a bad game against South Carolina in 2019. And this group of Georgia players has to learn some of those lessons. Will they lose doing it? We'll see. But uh, they definitely escaped with the win against Missouri. Interesting. Um, I don't think the Vols will be doing any uh, cover zero uh, when they come to Athens, just as a heads up. I don't think uh, we're putting Kamal Haddon and uh, Christian Charles and uh, Brandon Turnage on I mean, it worked. like that. Worked for Mizzou. It did, but uh, I, I don't think uh, that's going to be the case. Um, what is the di- – so do they have real problems, though? You mentioned the age. You mentioned that. Like, is there something that you're seeing the last two weeks outside of the age part of it that you're like, okay, whether it's a position group, whether it's just how teams are defending Georgia now, which might be a little bit different than what it was a year ago, is there something with Stetson? Like, where – is it just the the in uncertainty out wide outside of Brock Bowers and company? Like, is there something that's real that actually is concerning that you're kind of wondering if they can clean up in the middle of the season? I think if there's an area where they're actually lacking, it's the ability for skilled players who aren't Brock Bowers or Darnell Washington to get separation and get mm-hmm. open. And that was a huge contributing factor of why Missouri was able to get so much pressure on Stetson. A lot of people pointed to the offensive line. Yeah, they had a bad game, mm-hmm. but uh, they haven't had a bad season. Uh, they had a bad game. Missouri punched him in the mouth, and Stetson had to hold the ball a lot longer because no one could get open. So it made for a pretty vicious cycle of uh, doom for Georgia in Columbia this past Saturday. Uh, if they can get some guys back, if they can find ways to mix up the offense, make it move a little quicker. Mm -hmm. And that's what Georgia did late in the game when they needed those touchdown drives. They moved the ball quickly. They didn't wait for plays to develop too long. They went pop, 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 let's just move down the field. And Stetson had a bad game, but I'm still not concerned about Stetson Bennett. 
uh, and his leadership role in the team. It's the same thing as last season. You know, the difference that he has over his backup, last season it was JT Daniels, this season it's Carson Beck, uh, is his mobility and his ability to scramble, his ability to make things happen with his feet. So as long as that's the case for Stetson Bennett, he's still QB1. I mean, there's no quarterback controversy um, in Athens yet, uh, and I don't expect there to be. But if there's anything, even on a bad day for Stetson, that is encouraging for his role on the team, it's the fact that when Georgia needed touchdown drives, he led the team on touchdown drives, just like he did in the national championship game. I know Missouri's not Alabama. It's not the national championship. But when you need your quarterback to do that on the road in the SEC, if he steps up, he's probably your starter. And if he doesn't, maybe you need to reexamine some things. That's more than fair. Um, and I agree. And I think uh, I've kind of flipped. You know what's funny is um, I've, I kind of have grouped Stetson and Hooker uh, in the same group uh, for the most of the season coming into this year where Rattler and Levis were – just the national folks who were like, oh, the theoretical great SEC quarterbacks. They're theoretically, they have the size. Anthony Richardson also thrown into this group where it's just all sounds great in theory. Mm -hmm. And then Hendon Hooker, 46 touchdowns, two picks, just doesn't turn the ball over, takes a beating, um, not flashy, not going to be a first-round guy. Stetson not going to be a first-round guy. But they're efficient, and they just don't lose football games. They don't cost you football games. And I think right. – through and through, I mean, there is a reason that both of these schools are still undefeated uh, on October 5th, and the other three schools uh, with Rattler, with Levis, who had a big turn, big turnover late uh, in that loss in Oxford on Saturday, um, and also Richardson, who, look, showed a lot but uh, against Tennessee in Knoxville, but still just not quite there, and I think Stetson Bennett is far far from uh the problem in uh, in athens and you saw that in the second half i think for sure mm -hmm. um when you look at though the i'm curious which position position group um is youth and inexperience the biggest problem for the dogs right now wes uh you know as far as being healthy and uh relying on guys that haven't played much it's the defensive line with Jalen Carter being injured for the next couple weeks out indefinitely it's not so much that the guys there are young they just didn't play a ton in meaningful moments uh, because Jordan Davis and Devontae Wyatt were playing and Jalen Carter was playing even though uh, he's still around not part of that NFL draft exodus but now you're looking at guys like Zion Logue, Nazir Stackhouse, uh, Tramel Walthour, uh, Tyron Ingram Dawkins. These are guys that are not household names yet. They haven't earned that right. And they're still figuring out how to dominate and create opportunities for the linebackers behind them. And I'm not saying they're doing a poor job, but when you look at what left Georgia last season and, and which group is expected to still, in a Kirby Smart defense, dominate at the line of scrimmage, I, I think that by the end of the year, They'll have it figured out, but right now they're still, I would say, a half a step behind, a step behind in some cases, the production you saw. And that's what's been the theme of Kirby Smart's defense. You go back to his uh, first couple years in Athens. You had um, Roquan Smith taking advantage of a dominant defensive line in front of him, almost working the way a offensive line clears holes for a running back 
Georgia's defensive line kind of clears holes for its linebackers to do whatever they want to do. You can't do that in the SEC if you're not very physical and very confident in what you're doing. So as as Georgia's D-line gets better and better as the season goes along, I think you'll see uh, Georgia's defense be a little bit quicker to some of these plays. They've had some busts the last couple weeks, some long runs, had that against Missouri, but a freshman, Malachi Starks, had arguably a game-saving tackle because he tackles the running back at the one-yard line and uh, Georgia holds Mizzou to a field goal and the dogs end up winning. Um, And if that's a touchdown and everything goes the way it went the rest of the game, which isn't how football works, but, Mm -mm. uh, you know, potentially save Georgia's butt there. So, yeah, a lot of youth on the defense. We all knew that. I think they're still playing better than we thought. But maybe, you know, the last couple of weeks you've seen teams break some explosive plays. Maybe offensive coordinators are starting to see some ways to take advantage of this inexperienced defense, and they're doing that a lot uh, with pre-snap stuff. Kent State did it in a very unique way. Uh, Lyad Drinkwitz is very good at it as well. So if there's something to attack uh, this Georgia defense, it's probably before the snap even happens right now while they still try to figure out how to play at game speed. The biggest difference between the Kent State and Mizzou game was what? Uh, I would say Georgia's ability to get better as the game went along. Kent State was just, let's just survive. You know, Mm -hmm. this team's coming here, noon kick, didn't really get too excited to play them, and they're going to be pesky, and we're just going to have to stay and grind and make sure that we don't lose this one. I think Georgia legitimately grew up against Missouri uh, in a way that trailing by 10 points on the road in the SEC, it's the only way you can learn that kind of lesson. And they really should have lost that game. I mean, Georgia had some breaks when it comes to officiating. Georgia had some, um, some moments where Missouri maybe got a little too conservative late in that game where if they continued to attack Mizzou could have pulled away so I think Georgia had a scare no doubt but it was a scare that was legitimate Kent State was a scare in the in the way that it was annoying but you knew Georgia was going to win the game even the Samford game Georgia won 33 to nothing but they didn't play their best ball you could say there was some adversity in that one too because Georgia wasn't uh as efficient wasn't executing as well as it could but Mizzou was a legitimate scare and I think that's what makes it different Georgia had to go out there and make some plays to win they started out the game almost looking like they thought they could show up and win and that wasn't the case and a lot of young players learned that lesson the hard way how is Stetson different this year? What have you noticed you've jotted down that looks different, that something ha- he has clearly worked on this offseason to prepare him uh, to defend this title this year? What what have you noticed? Well, I think it's what you said earlier. He's not making mistakes. Mm-hmm. And he it, maybe it's because he knows he's QB1 mm-hmm. and, and he's he's less likely to force things in there. He's He's less likely to go out there and try to prove something to everybody. He doesn't have to do that. Uh, he had a big scramble against Oregon that resulted in a, a cool Johnny Football-esque uh, touchdown pass against the Oregon defense, but he really hasn't scrambled much since then. And I think Kirby Smart is really hammering home, hey, 
You've got this in your bag. Let's not use it every time though. Use yeah. it when you really need to, because we can't afford you to go out there and try something that we don't need you to try. His only pick on the season was against Kent State. And even that, it, it appeared as if there was a mix-up in the route running. A uh, receiver maybe could have come back to the ball a little bit more than he did. So even that wasn't necessarily a bad decision. Uh, it was just a play that was made by the other team. So, look, Stetson's being smarter with the ball, and that's the one thing that Kirby said he wanted to see from Stetson. Now, the caveat there, the flip side of that is, if you're Kirby smart, you don't want to limit Stetson too much now. That's his X factor is his unpredictability so i'd be cautious about that if i were kirby and look i'm not paid the big bucks to be the head coach like he is but i also wonder if trying to keep stetson in between the pocket too much uh, could potentially limit him so that's something i'm keeping an eye on as the season goes along who is most likely to break out at the wide receiver spot this year well it's an old name it's not a young freshman that's emerging Mm-hmm. Uh, as a as a former recruit that was playing high school last season, it's it's mm-hmm. not that kind of deal for me right now. Anyway, I think it's Dominic Blaylock, and he mm-hmm. had some tough injury luck early on in his career, tore his ACL twice, but this season he has really stepped up when George needs him the most. And Ad Mitchell's been out essentially since the Oregon game. He played mm-hmm. one snap against Samford and came out with an ankle injury. Uh, Arian Smith is another guy they're trying to keep healthy, but he just has terrible luck. It seems like it's staying healthy. Uh, but Don Blaylock is the guy right now for me that is the name that I didn't expect to be a huge factor for Georgia right now, but he has been incredibly reliable and dependent for Stetson, uh, dependable for Stetson when it matters the most. Interesting. Um, I said all year where I was like before the year, I I thought if, Georgia got tripped up it would be at Mississippi State like that was the one I had circled where it's like if they drop one in the regular season based on what we saw a couple years ago when Will Rogers uh, was a freshman we know uh, the record for Mike Leach winning he's nine the best games. quarterback in the country right now out of the SEC he's the what he's got the most yards right now he does have the most yards best QBR though and the best quarterback I would still say in the SEC right now might be Mr. Hinton Hooker over here in Knoxville Tennessee I, I might lean that he's one but I'm okay right. I'm okay with either, um, but they're efficient. They're winning football games. They blow out Texas A&M over the weekend, but I, I'm curious based on what you've seen from your dogs and what you've seen from Mississippi State and what you've seen from Tennessee to this point, who are you more concerned about matchup wise for Georgia this fall? Uh, none of them. <laughs> I'm more <laughs> Kentucky is the one I've, I said, are you really still that concerned? coming into the season? Yeah, Ole Miss is really good, and uh, Kentucky played them tough. And was it a great game for Kentucky? No, but I still think they're a legitimate threat. I think one loss doesn't do you in in the SEC, and the reason that Kentucky, to me, is still the biggest threat for Georgia is because it's on the road, and they gave Georgia the toughest test of any team they played last season. And look, I know it's a different team this year, but Kentucky gave Georgia a really tough test in Athens. Now they get them in Lexington. And if they continue to get better with Rodriguez back in that backfield, I still think Kentucky can give Georgia a lot of trouble just because of how physical they are. What uh, really gave Georgia fits against Missouri? 
It wasn't Missouri streaking downfield and playing basketball on grass. It was their defense playing physical. It was a lack of competition at the line of scrimmage. And if you're able to out-physical Georgia, which is what they want to do better than anybody, if you're able to go toe-to-toe with them physically, then I think you have a really good chance. And that's why I still think, even though Mississippi State and Tennessee have a tremendous offense and passing attack, uh, I don't know about them defensively. And I think Kentucky's recruited pretty well. They've recruited some good depth. As the season goes along, I expect them to continue to get better. I'm not saying I'm not worried about Tennessee. For Georgia's sake, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying, comparatively, I still expect Kentucky to give Georgia a really tough game in Lexington. Interesting. Um, yeah, like I've just the matchup's not good uh, i think when they come to knoxville the end of october like i i would be surprised if tennessee doesn't win by three three scores would probably be my guess okay on on that one they're just a bad matchup and like tennessee owns that history you go through the the pastime there's something about it and uh it makes it even sweeter when you go into kentucky and take the state's best player uh in the recruiting class shout out to christian conyer that's a it's a nice one for next year's class um last thing west of the sec teams this year who have you been most surprised by? It could be in a positive way or in a negative way. Who have you been most surprised by in the SEC? Uh, probably Ole Miss. Hmm. And I know I just spoke about them. Um, I'm not really too surprised that A&M is, is struggling uh, to field a 9-10 win season. I think before the season you thought they'd probably be somewhere around 8-4 and four and hmm. looks like they're kind of trending that way, maybe even worse, but for Ole Miss to be as uh, dominant, explosive on both sides of the ball as they've shown so far, that was a bit of a surprise to me. I certainly didn't think they'd be uh, terrible by any means, but it looks like Bama's going to have a, a real test uh, taken on Ole Miss this season. So that's been my big surprise, the lane train. We'll end on this, Wes. We both love high school football. We went to two powerhouses uh, back in uh, the state of Georgia, Parkview and uh, the Collins Hill Eagles. Your Collins Hill Eagles win the the state title last year. Travis Hunter, shout out to Sam Horn, Travis Hunter, and those guys. But I don't know if you've checked out the GHSA schedule, uh, Wes. The Collins Hill Eagles, Region 8, 2 and 4, now sharing a region with Buford, which Mm -hmm. I think probably blows your mind too, that they are now a 7A school. When we grew up, when they were what two, three? Well, it's about time, yeah. And I think it's it's about time they did that because uh, <laughs> it, uh, it never really seemed fair. But but yeah, no. I mean they've they've taken advantage of it and made the most of that opportunity. And Collins Hills having a rebuilding year. Just high school football is tough to stay on top like that. But yeah, tough year for the Eagles. But uh, can't take that state championship away from them. You you cannot. Um, well, we'll see what happens. The Parvy five and one. Shout out to Coach Godfrey. Yeah. And the Parvy Panthers. Panthers We're back. are back. Yeah, I mean everything's coming up Parvy right now. Matt Olson, Parvy. That's right. Uh, go Braves. Go Braves. Um. All right, Wes. Well, how do the good folks support you and the team and everything you guys have got going on over at Dogs HQ this week? I invite everyone to take advantage of our premium subscription over at Dogs HQ. If you're a Georgia fan and want the latest inside scoop in recruiting news, team injury news, updates. We got a $1 for one year promo going on. That won't last forever, so go check that out. And I specifically 
lead our YouTube efforts over at Dogs HQ. Uh, just started that up with a, a real emphasis on that in my role. So go over there and hit the subscribe button if you don't want to pay a dollar for a premium membership. I no, know you it's should pay break the, the bank. Like I got it for BallQuest and everything else. Go do it. Go, go uh, pay it. The YouTube's free, so go hit subscribe on that too. Thanks, Chase. Absolutely. Thank you, and uh, keep up the good work, my friend, and uh, we'll have to check back in again soon. Sounds good, man. Catch you soon. All right, we're back. You're on the Chase Hooks Podcast, even this on a Wednesday night. First-timer Coach Lamar Brown of the West. Knoxville Rebels is here. Coach Brown, how are you doing, sir? Oh, I'm doing great, Chase. Thank you for having me on tonight. Thank you for being here. I think your offense just scored another touchdown while we were recording this very intro. <laughs> oh, there's no time. We've got some great kids on their offense. Uh, they, you know, a lot, lot of these kids have started for us for three years now. Uh, mm-hmm. Since they sophomores, when this senior class come in, uh, we had five different kids that started for us as freshmen and uh, uh, got beat in the state semifinals by Central. It, it's the best class i've ever coached did you have a feeling this would be a special season dating back to this summer did you have an inkling well i i knew we had a lot of people coming back i knew we had a lot of experience uh but uh you know ever since this class got got to west high school we've been really successful there, there was some stuff i was worried about they didn't go through any of the tough times of losing seasons when i first got there and uh uh, I, I was worried about they was going to take stuff for granted. Uh, what I really didn't know was how hard this group's going to work and, and how much they really care about each other and how focused they are. Uh, it, it's been uh, a real blessing to me to get the coaches team. They're talented on the football field, but they're even better young men. Uh, that they're doing stuff right in school, doing stuff right off the field, and, and all that carries over to the field. Your biggest surprise has been where uh, with this team this year? Uh, my biggest surprise. Uh, we, coming into this year, uh, we was worried about Braden Latham. Uh, mm-hmm. Last year when Shannon Blair got hurt, uh, Braden was their starting tailback. And then when Shannon got hurt, we had to play him at safety also. Uh, I, I was worried about him doing that again. I didn't feel like we could ask him to play every snap uh, at tailback and then go play every snap at safety. It's a little bit different when you're playing wide receiver and a defensive back. When you're playing tailback in our offense, you're going to touch the ball 30 times a game. And, and when mm-hmm. you have it, there's people wanting to hit you. And uh, it's a lot. it's very physical position. Uh Marshawn Bowers, the transfer from Kings Academy, stepped in and uh, has has taken the safety.